All right, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen and aliens that are on vacation on Earth. We're up to week 13 of the pod. We're through week one of the NFL season. We're through almost the entire second round of the NBA. Uh, we're getting down to the NHL. Baseball's been in two. It's been a crazy week. Um, I texted the boys on Thursday and said, hey, guys, I watched basketball, hockey, football, and baseball today. So that was like a pretty great day. Uh, James, how you doing? Week one is done. I know you were pumped for football to come back. Oh, my God. You have no idea. I was hanging with a trade-in and Eric on Sunday watching football. You should have seen me pregame. I was jumping up and down, getting super excited. And then the Niners played and yeah. lost. And then I got super I, sad, okay. super angry. Yeah, you brought it on the way home. But other than that, it was, been, it was fantastic, man. And and I, I pride myself on the fact that I did not get punched out because I, I did kind of uh, indulge in the alcohol and I was kind of annoying. So, James, thank you for no, not punching my head. That doesn't sound like Dude, you traded. got so drunk. <laughs> oh, gosh. I think Jimmy, Jimmy G threw, like, one incomplete pass and James ripped out uh, Traden's drawer and, like, all the silverware <laughs> flew out all over the ground. That is a I, I do remember that happening, but that was first the order, order, first like incomplete pass. <laughs> then, so, like, we ate up. a bunch of ice cream. We ate all of Trey's ice cream in his house. That was a good time. Wow. I, okay. I just bought it. I didn't even take a bite before. I bought it like <laughs> three days ago. It was like a gallon of ice cream. What, a, what some awful house <laughs> guests. <laughs> uh, so, Tyler, James is obviously like you where he's going to angry throw things when his team is not going well. Yeah. Uh, how you doing over there? Rams week one win. Yeah, I uh, definitely wanted to throw things after that Eagles loss. Um, that was horrible. Up 17 nothing, and then just shit the bed in the second half. Um, that was hard. Who'd you lose to? The Washington football team. Did I say well, the, the team that has no name? Got it. Yeah, that <laughs> one. Yeah, the one that doesn't have a goddamn name. So that was rough. But then the Rams came back and beat the Cowboys. So that kind of you know helped me helped finish the day strong for me there. Um, Dodgers lost a rough one last night, so that was rough, but they're winning right now, so hopefully they can hold the lead, but we'll see. But other than that, doing great. Sports are back. I love it. Eric, you're obviously not doing great down there. How are you, uh, how are you doing? Uh, not good. Um, stressing and Clippers are collapsing once again in the fourth quarter. Uh-oh. This could be probably the worst thing you'd ever want to see your team go through. And uh, I'm going through it. It is, uh, it is generally astounding how the Clippers now three games in a row have sort of crumbled in the second half. Uh, we'll kind of update you guys on that as the game goes on. Um, but, James, let's start with you. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, week one of the NFL season is done. Uh, some of our fantasy teams did well. Some of them didn't. Uh, <laughs> how are you feeling? Uh, let's get into the NFL week one. All right, guys, so we're going to start with uh, – I'm going to focus more on fantasy nowadays because the division previews are now over. Um, so we're going to go through waivers and do waiver buying ads here. Um, so for my segment, it's going to be based off the ESPN leagues, and it's going to be based off of reagents or on your waiver wire who are less than 50% owned for the majority of – for literally all the leagues because it has a percentage on there. And we're going to go through every single position, uh, quarterback through tight end. Today, we're going to start with the quarterback, and it's Gardner Minshew II from Jacksonville. Uh, he's my pick of the week this week for a quarterback, and it seems just like, you know, two or three weeks ago, I was just talking shit on him. It was terrible. He wasn't going to do shit. But then he went off and scored 20.8 points. He was projected for 15, and he outscored that tremendously. He's only owned in 14.9% of the leagues right now, 
And his stat line was crazy, guys. Did you guys see that? He had one incomplete pass. He went 20, 19 for 20. He's 95% and threw three touchdowns. His quarterback rating was 142.3. The perfect quarterback rating is 158. He was so close to having a perfect quarterback rating. Um, out of all the quarterbacks, he was the 11th highest scoring QB. He outscored Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Dak Prescott, Carson Wentz. He outscored all those guys, and he's only owned in 14% of leagues. Uh, he plays the Titans in week two, which is a tough, tough matchup. But then he goes on to face his Miami, Cincinnati, Houston, Detroit. The thing about uh, Jacksonville is that they're going to have more negative game scripts, so I have to throw way more often, which, you know, is good for him. He's shown last year in a very small sample size, albeit because he's a rookie last year. But he had 21 touchdowns and six interceptions last year. That's really good numbers for a, court, for a rookie quarterback. And it, he's poised to do that again this year. So, Tyler, I know you don't really have a need for QB right now because you have Deshaun Watson and Cam Newton. But I realize that you've been getting into Bud Light Celtic recently. Is that enough for you to add Gardner Minshew? Or, I mean, like, what do you think about him as a waiver bar, Ed? Ooh, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, he was talking the talk with that Bud Light commercial. You know, say, pick me. If you win your fantasy league, you get, what is it, a, your, your supply of Bud Light. Uh, I would probably never drink Bud Light unless it's for some weird drinking game or something like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, he had a great – first week so we kind of backed up the talk with the whole Bud Light fantasy uh, uh, incentive so that's something to think about for people who are a little thinned out on QB right now um, he could be a good pickup uh, or at least just for a backup just in case he continues this um, I mean if he is in the top 10 in fantasy points for quarterback I mean I think if he can do what he did last week I think that's definitely possible so yeah for me personally I'm not really looking at him because I'm pretty good on uh, good on QBs, but for those, if you have, you know, a quarterback gets injured down the line or you don't have very good depth at QB, like I think this is probably the top QB to look at. A couple other notable QBs that we could have talked about here is Mitch Trubisky from the Bears. He had 24.3 points, but he's only owned at 2.7% of leagues. He had an awful three, first three quarters of the game, but then he still managed to get 24 points. I don't know how he did that. Bears suck. And then Kirk Cousins, Eric's favorite quarterback. For Minnesota, he had 21.8 points, but he's only owned in 21.2% of leagues. Moving on to running back here, we have Malcolm Brown from the Rams. He's currently owned in 7.9% of ESPN leagues. He was projected for 5.82 points against Dallas, but he went on to score 26 points. He had 18 carries for 79 yards and two touchdowns. He also added three receptions and 31 yards in the, uh, through the air. Um, he was tied for third in, for most receptions on the team, after Robert Woods with six. So a lot of people didn't trust Malcolm Brown just because you kind of wanted to stay away from the Rams backfield. They had what Sean McVay termed a three-headed backfield. So that's between him, Cam Akers, and Daryl Henderson. But as it comes out, Malcolm Brown's the lead back of that three-headed backfield. Cam Akers only had 14 carries for 39 yards. Daryl Henderson, three carries for six yards. When you look at snap counts, Malcolm Brown was out there for 60% of snaps. Cam Akers, 33 three and Henderson right now the one to trust is Malcolm Brown he was the fifth highest scoring running back in week one his upcoming skills right now is to the Eagles who just lost to the football team the Buffalo Bills the Giants and the football team that's a pretty decent schedule for a running back right now the Rams look offense looks like it looked two years ago they did well against the Cowboys and that means a lot of positive game scripts which means a lot more running and bleeding the clock out so Alex 
you have Love Bell and you pretty much just lost him for a couple weeks with a hamstring injury. What do you think of Malcolm Brown? Yeah, Lev Bell. God, what a dumbass fucking pick. Um, yeah, Malcolm nice Brown in the trade, by the way. Yeah, I figured <laughs> I'd just throw that out there, see what happened. Um, yeah, for Malcolm Brown, you you nailed it. Um, you know, he was out there for a majority of the snaps. Um, you know, we talked about it in the NFC West preview about how awful the uh, Rams' offensive line was last year. They looked a lot better against a decent Dallas defense. Um, so if you're if you're looking for a running back to if you're an idiot like me and draft Lev Bell, or if you're worried about some of these other running backs, if you got James Conner on your team, he's out for a little bit. Um, you know, any of these running backs that got off to a slow start and you're looking for someone to pick it up, it does seem 100% like Malcolm Brown is the guy uh, for now. I would keep an eye on it, though. I do think that eventually Cam Akers might be the dude in L.A. Um, you know, primetime game is Sunday night against the Cowboys in a brand-new stadium. You know, they maybe wanted to give that – give the share or load share to the um, veteran. Um, so keep an eye on it. But for sure, um, Malcolm Brown is a very interesting pickup on the waiver wires this week. A couple of other notable running backs here is Naeem Mines from the Colts. He scored 27.3 points and is owned in 34.2% of leagues. He's a pass, pass catching back. And now that um, Marlon Mack is out with the torn Achilles, he could see a lot more work behind Jonathan Taylor. And then Jarek McKinnon, the 49er, 13.4 points. He's owned in 16.1% of leagues. He's a pass catching back, a third down back. So if Jimmy G just keeps doing terrible like he did in week one, he's going to pass down to a running back and that's more work for him. So if you're in a PPR league, give Jarek McKinnon a look. Moving on to wide receiver here, we got Sammy Watkins out of Kansas City. He's owned in 45.8% of leagues right now, so he almost didn't make the cut. He was projected for 9.25 points, but he ended up with 21.5. He had seven receptions on nine targets for 82 yards and a touchdown. He also added one carry for three yards. He had the highest target share on the team, on the Kansas City Chiefs, the best offense of football. So my biggest concern here is that typically he explodes during week one. Like, that happens often. In 2019, his week one was probably one of the best week ones in history of fantasy football. He had nine receptions for 198 yards and three touchdowns, which equaled 46.8 points. That's crazy. But for the rest of the season, he only had 91.7 points, which equaled out 7.1 per week. He can't sustain. He, goes, he does a lot week one, but he kind of falls off towards the end. But I think this year might be a little bit different um, because of the running game and uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Devoting another guy to him means less guys on Sammy Watkins. And there's also the emergence of uh, Demarcus Robinson. He had three receptions for 20 yards on six targets. He's a threat, too. He was the eighth highest scoring wide receiver this week. Snap count-wise, he was out there for 80% of snaps. Tyreek Hill, the number one wide receiver on the team, was only out there for four more snaps than Sammy Watkins. Looking at his schedule here, he has a tough schedule, man. This, this Chiefs schedule is rough. You have uh, the Chargers coming up. They don't have Derwin James, and they almost lost to the Bengals, but that's still a decent defense. Then you have Baltimore, tough. New England, they still got Stephon Gilmore, tough. You got the Raiders, eh, easy. And then you go to Buffalo, who also has another really tough defense. I actually think having all these tough defenses is a good thing for Sammy Watkins, mainly because Pat Mahomes is skewed being the lead when it comes to throwing. And teams will start to devote more defenders to Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and CEH, which, you know, that allows Sammy Watkins to draw the third or fourth best corner or safety to defend him, which he'll exploit and do well on. Trading. Your wide receivers straight up did not produce this week. DJ Moore had 9.4 points. 
T.Y. Hilton had 9.3, and Keenan Allen had 7.7. What do you think of Sammy Watkins as a water, waiver wire ad? Would you drop someone in your team to add some wide receiver depth? Um, well, first of all, I want to make sure that I haven't yet. Um, <laughs> I don't believe I have. I think I'd have a different move in the in the uh, the thing here. Um, but no, I mean, yeah, he brought in he brought in um, you know he brought in some respectable points and he kind of does that. Like you said, every single, you know, season opener, um, like that, that's kind of his thing. Um, but I, I don't, I don't see him. I don't see it worth picking him up. He's going to face a more t- capable, at least for this week, he, he's going to face a more t- uh, capable, you know, corner in back, you know, on the charters defense. Um, and I think, and I actually am going to use your reasoning for him to be, you know, to be a good option as actually a negative, because I think that Mahomes has just too many weapons. So, and, and, and for any given game, so he can have, you know, week to week, I think he has some upside potential. Um, but the fact that he scored 21.5 points this week, he's kind of at that like top of his peak. Like I don't see any upside from there. I only see downside. Could he go, could he go sideways? Maybe. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I think that Mahomes is just, has just too many options for for him to be a, a a big pickup at least to take off one of my uh wide receivers there and you know and maybe my deeper end of the end of my roster maybe later down the road but for now i i'm just a little uh too bearish on him still okay a couple of other notable wide receivers here is marquez valdez scantling green bay hit nine point nineteen point six points it's only 1.9 of leagues and anthony miller from chicago i don't know if you guys just heard but Allen Robinson wants out. He wants to be traded, which means Anthony Miller might be the number one guy in Chicago. That doesn't mean much, but he still put up 17.6 points last week, and he's owning 37.9% of leagues. Lastly, we're going to go to tight end here, and it's going to be O.J. Howard. That's my pick. Um, he's owned in 4.9% of leagues right now. He's only projected for 4.25 points, but he went off for 13.6 points. He had four receptions on six targets for 36 yards and a touchdown. He's tied. He tied for second on the team in targets right behind Chris Godwin with seven. And that's a, a Tom Brady-led offense. Um, he actually led the team in red zone targets, though. He had two red zone targets, which led the team there. Uh, I think people honestly were afraid to draft him because of Gronk and his name value. They thought that Gronk was going to get all the run at tight end, but little did they know that the Bucks run 12 personnel offense as their base formation, which means they have one running back, two tight ends most of the time. Howard had six targets, while Gronk only had three. Um, O.J. Howard had the seventh highest score for tight ends. Snap count-wise, he was out there for 37 snaps, while Gronk was out there for 54. So 17 more snaps. That's actually kind of a big deal, but it's the red zone targets that gets me. It kind of reminds me a lot of Eric Ebron's 2018 season, where he finished as the fourth overall tight end and was basically just there to catch touchdowns. That's all he did. He had no other value but to catch touchdowns. His upcoming schedule is Carolina, Denver, Chargers, and Chicago. Eric, Blake Jarwin just tore his ACL. What do you think of O.J. Howard as a waiver wire ad? I actually have, did have Blake Jarwin, just dropped him. Um, O.J. Howard caught four out of six targets, got 36 yards and a touchdown game one. It scares me because I have Gronk in one of my other leagues, so I feel like they're just going to veer away from Gronk the more O.J. Howard does well. Uh, Next game is Tom Brady's. Home day in Tampa Bay against a questionable Panthers defense. In other words, look for Howard to go off. 
Uh, like, like I said earlier, I think it's going to boost up his confidence if he does go off in this game, and that's going to be threatening for anyone who has Gronk, which I do in one other league. I think Alex has him in our league. So, yeah. Uh, oh, my God. Fucking he's doing the basket, game. Dude. He's, he's having a rough time right now. Yeah, he's not happy. Anyway, <laughs> some other notable tight ends of note here is Dallas Goddard, who I actually wanted to talk about. But Eric didn't want to because he was like, I had him last year and he didn't do dick for me. That's a quote. Dallas Goddard scored 24.1 points and is owned in 27.2% of leagues. And Logan Thomas mm-hmm. from Washington, 13.7 points, owned in 0.5% of leagues. Oh, so oh. it there seems like the Clippers lost. Yep, there goes a jersey. <laughs> so the last thing you want to do here, guys, I want to go around and ask everybody who their favorite wire, wherever wire pickup is. And it could be somebody I mentioned or it could be anybody really why they picked him so Tyler start with you yeah uh, I picked Robbie Anderson Carolina Panthers I just checked his availability he is only available or he's only available in about 30% of leagues um, so he's a little he, bit he's taken in 70% of leagues correct um, <laughs> um, so that so if he's available uh, look for him I think he's a solid wide receiver three flex option for you uh, just the past three seasons averaged 824 yards six touchdowns with the Jets he's now on the uh, the Carolina Panthers got 25 points last week in, in week one. So if he's available, I would check out Robbie Anderson. Alex. I'm sticking with Malcolm Brown. Um, I think he's going to be a big part of that Rams offense that, like you said, looks uh, like the Rams offensive two years ago. Um, it all comes down to that offensive line and how much time Malcolm Brown stays on the field compared to those other two guys. But um, Malcolm Brown is available in a high percentage of league. So if you can go get him, go get him. Traded. Uh, I got a sleeper, boys. I got Benny Snell Jr. for this week. All right. He's going to take the bulk of the snaps um, for the Steelers. Assuming this is all encompassing that James Conner is out. If he's out, forget what I'm saying. Just forget it, okay? Um, if he's Broncos in, are coming off a rough week against the Titans. He'd make a solid plug-and-play situation. You know, I'm, I'm into that plug-and-play. Get it going. Benny Snell Jr., baby. And lastly, Eric. I got Valdez Scantling. Uh, I think Aaron Rodgers is going to have a good season, and we saw that game one. I think Valdez Scanling will become a big target for him. All right, guys, thank you very much. That was uh, my waiver wire segment for this week. All right, yeah, uh, crazy NFL week one for sure. Uh, we'll see how many of these guys get picked up coming into week two and see how they perform. Uh, when we come back, Eric's talking about golf. We got a big major tournament coming up, so Eric's going to give us the lowdown on that. We'll be right back. All right, guys, welcome back. The U.S. Open is coming up. Eric, you're a golf guy. What do you got on the U.S. Open? The 2020 U.S. Open is this weekend, starting this Thursday. It'll be the second major tournament of the COVID year. This will be held at the Winged Foot Golf Club in Mamaronic, New York. I I hope I pronounced that right. Uh, And this is going to be the sixth time that this course has hosted the major tournament. Some notable holes right off the bat. The 12th hole will be the sixth longest hole in major history. It is 633 yards, par five. And of course, fucking DeChambeau earlier when they were talking to him in an interview, they asked him what hole is going to be your best hole. He said 12th hole because he hits the driver far. 
Uh, the 13th hole is another notable hole. It's right after that, and it is a 212-yard par three. So you're going from the longest hole on the course basically to the shortest hole on the course. In my head, that would fuck me up, but probably in these pro golfer heads, they'll be fine. Uh, so odds and players-wise, Dustin Johnson is 8-1. to one. He's been playing the best golf this year. He just won the FedEx Cup, basically winning all these other tournaments. Uh, so in a nutshell, you shouldn't take him because he's playing too well. That's just the story of golf. It's way too hard to predict anyways. But second, John Rahm, 11-1. to one. He's also been playing really well. Uh, the last major tournament, though, he was number one. Literally, it lasted one week because he shit the bed in that tournament. And that's golf for you once again. Rory, 12 to 1, been playing bad and shitty. That's, that's why I would actually bet on him to win this tournament. That's golf in a nutshell for you. I, I agree. I agree with you on that. Uh, DeChambeau, you know, we got to bring him up. 14 to 1. He was tied for fourth in the last major, and he actually was leading most of the day, and he trashed it away, basically like what the Clippers just fucking did in their series. Um, he still hasn't won a major, so that guy always has little tricks up his sleeve. He's a fucking goofball. Uh, I'd like to actually see him win the tournament, but I <laughs> we'll see what Traden thinks in a second. Uh, Morikawa is going to be 18-1. to He won the first major of this COVID year. He was age 23. And it was his first major ever. Only one other dude to do that at the same age. Guy named Tiger Woods. Ever heard of him? Tiger, speaking of him, 28 to 1. Uh, you can never count this guy out. He's probably the best golfer to ever do it. Um, they had him in an interview earlier. He was extremely boring, just talking super general. Whenever he does that, he usually goes off. My last mention of a guy is Tony Finau. 33 to 1, also never won a major. He's been close like so many fucking times in his career. Um, he's actually going to be my dark horse is who I would pick to win this tournament. Um, Traden. I saw when I mentioned DeChambeau, you just fucking rolled your eyes, shaking your head. Like I sent you a video of him earlier in an interview. Did this guy just get you rattled? Dude, my, my issue with this guy is he has, he has a lot of confidence for someone who just can't seem to finish Oh, he can't. He hasn't won a uh, a major tournament, and you know what? You got to give him the benefit of the doubt. It take it, it. It's hard to win a major tournament. It's hard to win anything in this damn game. It it is. I will go down saying it is the hardest sport in history. I mean, it is the hardest sport to play, and so there is in terms of the mental, physical, all that kind of stuff. The mental mostly, and the guy. I you know I'm just in his interview here, and the guy is all about hitting these long bombs. He doesn't give a crap about the rough. He doesn't give a crap about anything besides using his length to get him, you know, far. And I think we saw, you know, that first that first week that we did we held this podcast, he did he won that tournament. But ever since then, he just hasn't been able to to crack. I don't think a top five, at least maybe a couple times, but nothing nothing of note. Um, He's getting beat by guys that are, drive it like 287. I mean, Colin Morikawa, for example. Um, I know that I know that um, my boy DJ bombs the bombs the ball, but DJ has a nice fade that it ends up on the fairway. You know, 70% of the time. Um, my issue with with Deshambo Deshambo is he's in the rough like 80% of the time. I'm watching the motherfucker, so I, I don't know. He, I, I think he needs to be knocked down a peg. 
Um, also, if there's fire ant on the court, call, count him out. He's done. Um, <laughs> um, no, but seriously, I you know, my, my issue with the guy is he's 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 he has a big head and he ha- he doesn't have like there's no room for it yet. You know, um, you get you you see more humble, you see more um, humility in you know a Colin Morikawa who at the age of what 21 or 23, um, you know, won his major already. I mean, that is that to me is is the type of player that I like to watch. He's tough to, he's tough to like, and I know you like him. Um, I, I love watching him bomb the ball, but I, I just don't like his antics. So I, I think he's going to learn that you need a little bit more accuracy to get, to get far. Um, and look at the field. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're up against DJ who's playing unbelievable golf right now. Colin Morikawa, um, Justin Thomas, who's a, he, he was always in the top 10 seems like. Um, so uh, to name a few, and then Rory actually had a pretty strong um, uh, uh, PGA uh, championship towards the end. He actually gave him a run for their money. He was just too far back to start. So I, I think there's too many too many big names ahead of him that it, it's going to be tough for him. Yeah, unless he can it's a, actually play golf. <laughs> it's a game of accuracy, trying to get the ball in the hole, uh, not trying to drive it the farthest. There's some other stupid tournament for that. So if he wants to do that, he could join that fucking tournament (laughs) where no one gives a fuck about it. Uh, James, you actually all of a sudden do give a fuck about golf. Uh, What things have you noticed uh, that you actually like that make you want to watch golf, such as a major tournament this weekend? Well, I started golfing about two months ago here, and uh, it's a lot of fun. So watching the major tournaments shows me how real professional golfers carry themselves on a golf course that shows me just different ways to hit the ball uh their form and everything how competitive they are it's fun to watch so just watching them i need to learn as much as i can as fast as i can if i want to compete with you guys so i just watch that i literally just watch them hit the ball and i try to mimic that when i go play myself and it's not as good as getting a lesson by any means so if anybody wants to get into golf don't do what i'm doing Uh, but it's definitely a lot of fun to watch very competitive. It's fun to talk shit to you guys because I, I actually know what you guys are saying now. Like fade, cuts, like all that stuff and big names. I wouldn't have never known DeChambeau or Tony Fino before getting into golf, but now I do. And so I think it helps me culturally too. That's what hey, I James, does, it, does it make you feel nice when you see someone like Justin Thomas or DJ just shank it right into the woods? It just makes oh, you yeah. feel like they're 100%. just like us sometimes. Yeah, man. That's like 90% of my shots. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> it's like, okay, they do it too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're human. It's awesome. Yes. And speaking of a guy that can make golf exciting, Tyler, not you, but Tiger Woods. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Tyler, I want you to tell me though about how is Tiger going to find a way to to get this master? I mean, to get this major because last year everyone counted out in the Masters and he had a phenomenal Sunday to win it. Yeah, Tiger Woods, man, he he's the reason why I started liking golf, why I started playing golf. I mean, he's gonna he's gonna be the guy I always root for. I'm a Tiger fan for life. Um, when it comes to this particular tournament, uh, Tiger Woods mentioned that this winged foot golf course is one of the top three most difficult he's ever played in his life. And that's saying a lot because he's played a lot of golf. Um, So that doesn't give me a a whole lot of confidence. Uh, He's played there twice with major tournaments before. Uh, He placed 29th in 1997 at the PGA Championship. And then he missed the cut for the first time in his career 
at this course during the 26, 2006 U.S. Open. Um, so he doesn't have a lot of good performances at this course. Um, he hasn't performed so super well this year yet. Um, his best finish was 27th at the PGA Championship. Um, so I'm not super confident with Tiger Woods at all. Um, but that being said, he's the greatest golfer in, in our lifetime. Um, if anyone can pull off a comeback, it'd be him. As you mentioned last year at the Masters, I think he shocked everyone and, and, and won that tournament. Um, so for him, I think the roughs on this <clears throat> course are, are not easy if he can try and stay out of the rough a lot. And then also he mentioned that his putting this year has not been very good. So if he can improve on, on, on his putting and he has a really – and he can put all together for – four rounds, I think he has a shot. But to be honest with you, as, as a Tiger fan and with how and what he's telling me, he's not super confident with it. So I don't know if I'm very confident with it either. But hey, it's Tiger Woods. Anything can happen. Yeah, could be a tactic of him to just get everyone to lay off his dick. Yeah, Who knows? yeah maybe. Uh, Alex, last question. I know you hate golf, not a big golf guy. How many 100%. beers would it take? I know you love beers. Though. How many beers would it take? for you to watch the last two holes of a nail-biting major golf tournament on a Sunday afternoon with everything on the line for those two pro golfers? Well, so for me, ideally, it'd be one of you four that are buying the beers. Uh, <laughs> if, it's the, if, if it's my own beers, I'm not watching golf. Like, I'd rather just be taking a nap, which is probably what's going to happen if golf is on TV anyway. Uh, so if you guys are buying, I'm going to need at least eight probably two from each of you for me to like care if not i'm just i'm probably just not gonna watch eight. it golf golf yeah eight wookie jacks yeah i mean well uh, at that point i'll just be asleep which is yeah i'd be doing the same thing either way so um yeah you know what it, it should be an interesting tournament i hope you guys enjoy it i'm gonna be straight up i won't watch it uh there's way i got way more stuff going on i'm just not gonna watch golf but free yeah i will i do have to take naps naps are, naps <laughs> naps are, are choice. Games. I don't, yeah i don't want to he's like shit. 80 years old over there yeah that's true <laughs> uh yeah so that's yeah that's my take on that yep and i mean that's that's all i got for you on golf this week we got fucking four more days to see how it goes thursday through sunday all right yeah we'll see how that goes um if you guys bet on it i hope for the best for you guys i guess i don't know <laughs> we'll see what we'll see what happens for you guys uh when we come back we're gonna give uh tyler's gonna give his uh oh shit moments because we're getting down to it so it's no longer oh damn as james so lovingly coined it last week uh, we'll be right back guys All right, boys, we are back. Uh, before Tyler gets into his oh shit moments, we got to talk about what just happened in the NBA real quick. Eric, I'm very sorry. Plug your ears, leave the room, whatever you got to do. Uh, the Clippers did just lose game seven to the Nuggets. Uh, that's back to back series. The Nuggets have come back from 3 1, which is pretty impressive. Uh, we can maybe get into this more next week. Uh, but for now, Tyler, let's hear your uh, oh shit moments for the, uh, this past week in baseball. Oh shit. We got two weeks left in the season. James, I guess uh, you kind of forced the change of my title of my segment, but I'm, I'm rolling <laughs> okay. with it. I'll think later. I like it. Um, all right, so starting off at number five, 
Uh, MLB announced that they are banning alcohol from postseason celebrations in the clubhouse. Um, MLB is known to be one of those sports that kind of probably does it maybe too much for some, um, but it's super fun to watch. Um, and for me, I'm personally going to miss it a lot. Um, just gallons and gallons of champagne and beer flying to the clubhouse guys, just let, just letting loose after a division clinching win or a world series or whatever it is. Um, I understand the decision, you know, you're increasing the risk of potentially spreading the virus with all the alcohol. Um, so it's a little weird. I, you know, I, I think that there could be a way to figure it out without having to worry about it, but I do just, I understand with the times, I, I guess I get it, but I personally don't love this rule. Um, so I kind of asked all you guys, um, if you're going to be bummed not getting to see those team celebrations, um, Alex, I'll start with you. Uh, kind of, I mean, especially with the new playoff format, like if you win that first series of, you know, you win the first two games. I don't know. I feel like it's kind of weak to just start, you know, popping champagne everywhere. Like you won two games, especially if you're the one seed, like you're playing a team that realistically would never have made the playoffs to begin with. Um, I mean, I'll miss it. You know, if when the teams get into the later rounds, um, you know, there's always clutch, just drunk as fuck players giving interviews, which is super funny. Yeah. Um, but to, I mean, to be honest, like, Eh. 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 what do you got well first of all forgive me for being new but they crack champagne after every every round that they win yeah okay that first of all that's overkill (laughs) yeah (laughs) so i won't i I guess i really care that they won't be able to do it early on because f uh, you know FYI, they really only give out one World Series a year, and that's what you're actually playing for, but I digress. For the World Series, I, that's ridiculous. That's, that's unbelievable to me. Um, I'm pretty I, – I, I'm upset by it because I don't – there's no science there. I mean, <laughs> okay, I mean, thank you, dude. That makes I mean, zero sense. Zero. I, I mean, I, I don't know – forgive me again for if I'm wrong here, but aren't they still getting tested daily? Every other day. Every other day. So they have to clear, you know, clear the ability to play. I'm pretty sure if you're negative and you're cleared to play, are you, are you going to get it from the champagne? Like, I, that's what I don't get. Like, you're already – that's – you know what I mean? That's, that's what my – I think it's the science behind it that I don't understand. Isn't alcohol and hand sanitizer anyways and cleaning <laughs> products? Basically. Doesn't not quite, not quite the level that you need, but I don't know. I, I, think, I think the uh, – the science behind it is it's questionable at best. Um, but again, you're that's that's me. Although I, I won't miss it if they're not if they're not going to do it during this other rounds because you haven't even won anything yet. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, b- baseball does have get some backlash about how often they celebrate, which I get from a certain perspective. Um, I can see. I mean, th- this this year is going to be so different because there's so many more rounds in the playoffs and there's so many yeah. more teams in it. But normally, yeah. winning your division after 162 games is a really big deal because yeah. you're getting that and you, you're guaranteed a, a playoff series. So I understand it for that, and I kind of understand it for winning the league championship series because it's more of a it's more of a tradition kind of thing. Because it used to be just the best team from the AL and the best team in the NL met in the World Series. So there was it was kind of a you know a a uh, 
a, tr a tradition thing. there to you know celebrate that uh league championship and of course obviously world series you, you've got to do it but um yeah I, I agree with you the science is, seems a little weird i don't know if there's a way to you know test test the uh, bottles of champagne that come in for covid but you know we'll see uh james what do you got on this okay um the rule itself bullshit stupid hate it like the fact that even coaches have to wear masks and shit in the dugout or on the side of the field makes zero sense to me they're with the team all the time they're getting tested all the time they're negative why do you have to wear a mask that's stupid i hate it go back to the celebration portion of it though practically i never really got the allure of popping champagne and pouring alcohol everywhere but from a historical standpoint and from like an iconic standpoint it's fantastic so i'm gonna really miss that because all those big photos of winning championships like then i see i remember seeing just kobe and michael holding the larry o'brien with champagne dripping everywhere and champagne bottles on the ground everything that's what i remember that's iconic not having that this year for the world series 100 it's you're taking a piece out of history and you're replacing it with something else based off a stupid rule that has zero backing behind it i don't agree with it at all yeah agree james eric what do you got on this Dude, uh, no comment. I'm sorry. I can't really uh, think or put any words to thought right now. There's, this, there's too much going on in, in, uh, in my life at this moment. Sorry. Alcohol is good, and they should allow it. Fucking baseball, of course, they don't allow it. Trash sport. <laughs> Golf is better. Golf is better. All right, man. <laughs> I disagree. Um, and just my, my, my final thought on this, I was, I was very fortunate enough to be part of the, one of these uh, alcohol-induced celebrations with the clubhouse of the baseball team last season. And it is as fun as it looks. So um, I enjoy watching them, even, though, even if I'm not a part of them. So I'm, I'm definitely going to miss it. I think that this rule sucks. Uh, okay, moving on to number four. Oh, shit. The Braves scored 29 runs. They got the memo that it was uh, NFL week one. Uh, the final score of the game was 29 to nine <laughs> in their win over the Miami Marlins on Wednesday. Uh, that was one run shy of tying, of tying the MLB record, uh, but it is an all-time Braves record. Um, the day before, they scored zero runs and got four hits. Gotta love baseball. You never know what you're going to get. Um, they scored 11 runs in, in the second inning. Um, 18 of their 29 runs came via the home run, which tied an MLB record. They, they hit seven home runs total in this game, uh, headlined by Adam Duvall, who hit three home runs in that game and got nine RBIs. He had a three-home run game earlier this season, and he's also got 10 home runs this month already, and it's only September 15th. So that guy's mashing right now. Um, for the Marlins, it is their largest margin of defeat in franchise history. Uh, so a pretty wacky game there on Wednesday. Traden, I want to ask you, if, if you were attending a game like this, would you be entertained or just bored? Okay, so I kind of fought with this because I, I, I needed to know how the runs kind of were scored. Because if they, to me, if they were just hitting, like if they were dingers, like 29 dingers, I think that'd be kind of boring. <laughs> and, the re, and, I'll, and I'll tell you why in a bit. First off, all I want to say, uh, it wasn't the only game that had crazy scoring because the Brewers blanked the Tigers 19-0 that, that same day, I think. Um, and we got we, we to gotta call out Jordan Yamamoto, entered into relief for Pablo Lopez in the second, and he really didn't relieve anything. He actually exacerbated the bleeding. <laughs> yep. Faced 22 batters, 
allowed 13 hits plus walks. He was charged with 12 earned runs and is the second reliever since 1944 to allow more than 13 runs in an appearance. He entered the game with an 11.42 ERA, which is not good. And he departed with an 18.26. Like, oh my God. I, I, I'm sorry. I don't know if that dude needs to find a different day job because it might be time. I mean, no offense, <laughs> but um, yeah. So with that said, I actually would have been excited to see it because I actually don't, I actually think the way that the MLB is going towards, you know, not caring about strikeouts, but caring more about, about dingers is kind of ruining the fun part of the game. I love when the ball stays in play and you're getting people on base and then you hit the grand slam or, you know, that, that's how you play on like your, the video games, you play it like that instead of just smoking the ball out the park all the time, you're seeing more action in, you know, in the field. And when you're getting 29 runs, you're not, you're not hitting 29 dingers. You're getting people on base and you're getting them, you're getting the runs. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that I think it would be exciting to see. I, I honestly do. It, it'd be, I'd be like, this is what I like. This is the kind of stuff I like to see. Um, poor Marlins. Um, but, but that is what it is. Yeah. Pretty crazy. You don't see games like that very often. Uh, the fact that we had also that 19-run game, like you mentioned, this very same day is pretty nuts. Um, all right, moving on to my number three, I'm going to talk about uh, Kenley Jansen, the closer for the Los Angeles Dodgers. On, on Saturday night, he blew a save against the Houston Astros, which is not the team you want to blow a save against. Um, he was the reliever of the month last month in August. Um, in September, after that uh, blown save against the Astros, he had an ERA north of 17. Um, so he's been struggling a lot his last few outings. Um, and normally I probably wouldn't be, you know, super picky about Kenley Jansen, but last season he seemed to slow down. He had a huge dip in his velocity. He was not the same closer that we've seen the last few seasons. He's the franchise leader in saves. He has been one of the best consistent relievers in baseball in the last, you know, six, seven, eight years. Um, so he has a pretty long leash, I think, on, on that closer position. But Alex, if you were Dave Roberts or even as, as, as a Dodger fan, do you trust Kenley Jansen as the Dodgers closer still? Trust is an interesting word. Um, I think you, you still have to believe in the stuff because uh, if you don't, that's an issue. Uh, if you're Dave Roberts, um, there are guys in that bullpen that have succeeded in the closer role before. Um, specifically Blake Trinan was nasty for the A's a couple years ago. Um, I think if he had been, you know, I, you know, good, but not great in the first month of the season and then had shown up as awful as he was this last, like say four outings, be a way different, um, different ball game. But because he was the NL reliever of the month, sometimes guys just lose it for a week or two. Um, you know, no one's going to play the, their perfect game every single time. Obviously, for closers in base, is they're under a microscope because they get one inning. If they don't do their job, their team possibly like it's almost their fault if they lose that game. Uh, that Astros one, though, specifically that you're talking about, was awful. Um, I was watching that one live. It looked he looked bad. He pretty much said after the game, he's like, "I wasn't feeling it. I didn't feel great. Um, it was you know I was miserable to be out there." Um, but as we speak, he's about to come in to close it, hopefully for the Dodgers um, here down there in San Diego. So we'll see what happens. You know, by the end of your segment, we could be – I could have changed my mind and said, fuck it, I'm done with them. 
<laughs> yeah. So we'll it's, see. It's pretty crazy timing because we're about a minute away from him throwing the first pitch of the bottom of ninth inning. Got a two-run lead there in San Diego. Big, big, big game. Big series um, for the Dodgers and Padres. I think probably the best new rivalry in sports right now. Um, it's a great, great fight for that uh, division in the West. All right, but moving on to my number two oh shit moment. Uh, Alec Mills threw a no-hitter for the Sh- Sh- Chicago Cubs on Sunday against the Milwaukee Brewers in only his 15th career start. Um, what really makes this no-hitter interesting is it was not really a typically dominated outing by a pitcher. He only had five strikeouts. His fastest pitch was only clocked at 91 miles per hour and, and, and only got five swings and misses the, the, the entire game. So this guy was just mixing it up, throwing that curve, throwing – uh, throwing that slider, getting weak contact. Um, another really cool thing about Alex, Al, or Alec Mills, uh, he was a walk-on at University of Tennessee Martin. So this guy was not recruited out of high school. Uh, basically walked up the coach and told him, like, I want to try out. Tried out, was good enough to make the team. And he got drafted by Kansas City in 2012, worked his way up to the minor leagues, got cut by Kansas City in, in 2017, got picked up by the Cubs, made his way to, made his way to the big leagues and throws a no hitter last Sunday. So I, you got to love a, a story like that. Um, I think it's pretty awesome. It was a great, great game to watch. It's a, be- a beautifully pitched game. Ga- uh, games that are pitched like that, that aren't, you know, he's not striking out every batter, which is also great to watch, but guys that can do it with less than e- e- elite stuff is an amazing feat. And that's why I think this no hitter is super in- impressive. So congrats to Alec Mills. Um, Eric, I wanted to ask you a, 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 another thing I kind of thought of was we've had two no-hitters so far this season without fans in the stands. And I think that brings up an interesting point for me. On the mental side of things, I think as you know, you get in that seventh inning, you got no hits, even if you're the visiting pitcher or not, you can feel the anxiety and the pressure, I think, from the whole crowd. And I think that can you know, either break you or you know, it can feed you uh, mentally. So uh, just curious, I just want to get your opinion on this. Um, do you think it makes it harder or easier mentally to throw a no hitter when there are no fans? I think it make it makes it easier to throw a no hitter with no fans. Basically, going off what you just said, you don't have distractions in the crowd. You don't have people yelling at you. You don't have a bunch of other shit going on around you. Uh, I think it's a little bit easier to do that. Um, I think being a baseball pitcher is probably one of the the toughest mentally positions there is in all of sports behind a hockey goalie and behind a professional golfer. So, <laughs> you know, bringing the golf there's, up. I love there's it. a lot of mental, <laughs> mental toughness in those three positions. I would say the top three mentally tough positions of all sports. Right on. Probably you could throw a quarterback in there. Yeah. You'd be. Yeah, probably that too. <laughs> um, all right. My number one, oh shit moment of the week. Uh, Matt Chapman, the A's all-star third baseman, is out for the season. Huge blow for the Oakland A's. Uh, strained his right hip. He's going to go. He's going to undergo season-ending surgery uh, this year. Using ten home runs, twenty-five RBIs. His average isn't what it was normally was, but he's still a huge uh, staple of that lineup. Also, a huge loss for them on the defensive end. This guy's won two Gold Gloves and a Platinum Glove, which goes to the best overall defender in the game. Um, so that's a big loss. Uh, the A's did sign. Former all-star Jake Lamb previously played for Arizona, got cut by them. He hasn't been the same Jake Lamb the last couple of seasons, but he has potential to be pretty good. Um, currently, the A's are pretty set right now to win this division. They're six and a half games ahead of the Astros. 
Um, so they're most likely going to make the playoffs, but I think this is a big blow for their for a deep run to, to Ooh, a guy Sorry. like Matt Chapman. Um, what was that? Who won? Islanders moving on to the next game. I'm behind, guy. <laughs> oh, oh bummer. <laughs> All right, well, breaking news. Islanders win. Uh, they survive. <laughs> Sorry, Tyler. So they're behind 3-2. All good, man. Um, but that brings me to James. I want to I ask you this question. Um, how badly does this injury hurt the uh, A's chances of making a deep postseason run? I actually don't think it hurts them that much, to be honest. Um, it hurts them, but not as much as you think. Uh, mainly because they made a huge trade at the deadline for somebody that can play third base. He can play the, all, pretty much all infield positions, and that's Tommy Estella from the Angels. That was right at the t- trade deadline. He was an all-star last season before breaking his leg. He was one of the few bright spots that the Angels had this last season, and they traded him away to the A's, which hurts me. <laughs> you talked about how Matt Chapman had declining averages, declining stats this year and all that, but he still had a war of 1.1, which led the A's. On defense, like you mentioned, he's really, really good. Tommy Lestella, though, his averages are better than Matt Chapman's. Right now, he's averaging 276. Matt Chapman only averaged 232. Tommy Lestella has 26 runs, 42 hits, 22 RBIs, and five home runs. On the flip side of that, Matt Chapman only had 22 runs, 30 hits, and 25 RBIs. He did also have 10 home runs. But the fact of the matter is, Tommy Lestella is a capable, is somebody who's capable of stepping in and filling that bat in the lineup. Defensively, I'm not so sure. Matt Chapman is one of the best third basemen, third defending third baseman in the league, hands down. And it's going to hard, be hard to replicate that. But when it comes to just batting and keeping bats live and scoring, I think Tom Lestel is there and can make a good impact. For sure. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think, I think if this one does sting, it does hurt. Um, I, I still think this team has great depth, as you mentioned. They're one of the best teams in baseball right now. I think they got a good shot at making the league championship series, possibly even making the World Series, even without Matt Chapman. But it does hurt. He is probably their, the, the face of that franchise. So big loss there for the A's. Um, so I just want to uh, throw in a couple honorable mentions before I wrap up here. Uh, last week on the podcast, uh, I called out the Yankees for losing 15 out of 20. Ever since I called them out on the podcast, they've gone 6-0. and They're back up in the second place in their division after scoring 20 runs against the Blue Jays tonight. Um, so you're welcome. 20? 20, 20 runs tonight. Wow. TLDR bump, boy. That, that, is, that is the TLDR <laughs> bump. You're welcome, Yankees fans. Um, hey, number two. Anybody else want a TLDR bump? Yeah. <laughs> the uh, Niners did horrible. Yeah, Niners, <laughs> what the fuck? You got to step your shit up or, or, or you're going to miss the playoffs, guys. Come on. James, are you worried so, about our bet? That the Rams are going to make the playoffs? A little bit right now. It's week one, but yeah, a little bit. <laughs> uh, and then real quickly, uh, MLB announced their postseason schedule, which includes a few bubbles. Um, it will start September 29th. Uh, the, the first wildcard round, round will be played at the higher, higher team stadium. After that, they're moving into four separate bubbles for the division round. Houston and, and Arlington for the National League. San Diego, LA for the American League. The LCS and the National League were played in, in Arlington. The American League will be played in San Diego, and the World Series will be played in Arlington, Texas, at the brand-new Globe Life Field. Um, and there's also a possibility that fans might be allowed a limited capacity for the LCS and World Series. So look out for that. MLB, the bubble is coming. Other than that, Alex, that's all I got. All right, Tyler, your oh-shit moments are fire as always. 
we got one segment left. Traden, you're going to finish up hockey. Uh, we kind of jumped into it a little bit during the middle of that last one, which is okay, but we can talk about that game between Tampa and New York. And then uh, we can also talk about the uh, Dallas Stars moving on. Uh, we'll be right back, boys. All right, we are back, traded. We're talking hockey. Uh, as we just mentioned, Eric screamed, some stuff happened. Uh, why don't you talk about that game? Uh, and we'll talk about now uh, one team moving on. Yeah. Um, well, we'll start with the series that, well, I thought I thought was going to end tonight. Did not. Um, the Tampa Bay um, New York Islanders series. Tampa Bay now leads three to two with that with the win by the Islanders, forcing Game Six. Um, you know, we got we got a beautiful overtime goal from uh, from Jordan Eberle, um after a after an interesting game where you saw a lot of shots, great goaltending. Um, you know, a nice one-one game. The Bolts did score a second goal, but they were clearly offside. That was a good challenge. Um, that was really far offside. Um, but we got goals from Victor Hedman, which is the third of the series. Who's guys? He's Victor Hedman is might as well just be considered the greatest uh, greatest defenseman in in our game right now. He is just unbelievable. Um, and but hey, I mean, got it. Got to hand it to the to the Islanders. They they came back. Um, I guess my first question to everybody right now, as it stands, I'm going to go around. Do, do you see the Islanders winning two games in a row still, Tyler? I mean, yeah, they can. I think hockey, you see it. I think you see it pretty consistently every year. There's teams that come back from 3-1, even 3-0 deficits from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, this Islanders team, as we mentioned several times, is a stingy, stingy team. And if there's – I, I can fully see this game, go, this series going seven, um, and then anything can happen in a game seven. Um, I still think the Lightning will pull it off in one of these next two games, um, but I'm a little nervous for the Lightning right now after that game. What about you, Eric? I agree with Tyler. Uh, is that the Lightning's first OT loss in yeah. the bubble? I believe so. Yeah, so things are changing. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that the Islanders, of course, in this fashion, winning it that way, now have ton of momentum going into that game six and I think they could push it to game seven so you, so you believe in momentum from game to game uh I mean some people do in, some people don't I you know. I believe in just that the team that hasn't lost in overtime once yet in the bubble just did now it may be in the back of their heads who knows Islanders aren't gonna aren't gonna let up Alex what about you man no uh I'm calling it right now Tampa will win the next game and this will be over. I'm more on that camp. Uh, What about you, James? Yeah, I agree with you and Alex here. Um, I think Tampa Bay is just too good. I think they take this as motivation. Uh, I think they're taking a disrespect to them, the fact that they lost, because they fucked up. They're a better team than that, and they just didn't perform up to their standards, and that's where they lost. And so I think they're going to take that to heart and just use that as motivation to absolutely pummel the Islanders next game. Yeah. I, I still find it interesting. I mean, it, this is going to be kind of a tale of two of two series that kind of are the same type of feel. Lightning in most of that game, I, I, I watched most of it. They were just they poured it on. I mean, they they were owning the puck, owning the zone. They had way more shots. Um, very similar to what we see on the other side. But that team that that didn't have the shots 
won the series. So I guess anything's possible, but in my opinion, just the way that the Bulls have, have you know, um, some, so, so their forwards are just killer. Their top, their top forwards are just killer. Um, so let me give you some notable stats. The Bulls um, shots they, throughout the, the, for that now five games, um, the Bulls are beating the Isles in shots 165 to 138 and goals 18 to 11. Um, the Bulls have a much better shooting percentage and have a much better plus minus between their players. Um, Vasilevsky is putting up a solid performance, not 0.93 save percentage, eight goals against, well, I guess now what, 10 goals against. Um, and he has two penalty minutes. I haven't looked it up, but I want to know what the hell he got a penalty for. <laughs> um, Varlamov and Grice together have a 0.8. This is before today's game, mind you. Have a 0.874 save percentage. Grice was lit up, letting in three on nine shots for a 0.667. So he had a pretty rough uh, relief in that eight-gate goal game. Pretty, pretty tough. My, here's my thing, boys. I mean, Jordan Eberle scored. We got to give him credit for that. But the top six matchup has just been madly uplauded. I mean, prior to this game anyway. Barzell, Andres Lee, Jordan Eberle had just combined for just one goal and six points. I think, that, I think Andres Lee got an assist and Jordan Eberle got his goal. So I think they have now eight. Um, but still now, and, and still that's only three points in four games, um, uh, between the three of them, while you have point Palat and Kucherov. Now I get that Braden point was out two games and he was out tonight, but they have out attempted 28 to 18 outshot 20 to eight out chance 17 to 11. I could go on and they just have completely dominated. Um, the Bulls finished their. Interestingly, that game three, um, where the Bolts actually lost that game, um, they amassed 62 hits, which was a club high for the group, which I think is interesting because I don't think we really expect the Tampa Bay Lightning to be a hitting team, but clearly they have that in them. So I think that that's an element that they can they can turn on and be, you know, be that thing that that they probably were the re- was probably the reason they lost last year against the uh, the Blue Jackets. Um, I won't get into the talks about, well, I guess we can, cause I think we all expect the Islanders to, to be out. Um, I just want to kind of go through some questions about the Islanders off season. Um, the Islanders will have 8.9 million of cap space available, but don't have a first or second round draft pick this year. Um, they have older UFAs rolling off. Um, Martin, Martin Matthew Barzell's contract is up as RFA. Um, they have a couple other RFA signings that they need to, to get, but, this question is going to be for Eric and James. Do you think the Islanders have a bright future? Um, should the Metro division guys, you know, feel these guys as the threat for years for the next few years? I mean, I mean, what do you, and what do you guys like most about those teams respectively, James? Um, I think for their solid play, they do. Um, typically a lot of hockey teams try to get a, that big name. The guy who scores so many goals, super prolific and all that. But for the Islanders, their solid play is dirty. I mean, not dirty, but they, like, it's hard-nosed. They put the yeah. cut of the metal. They they grind it out. And they don't need a big name to win games. As you can see right now, they like, their top scorers have, like, I don't know, four points in this game, in the series as a whole. And then on, on the flip side, the light, Kucherov has nine points in the series. Yeah. That's not the way they play as long as that coach is still going to be the coach. They don't need a big name. And so I think their future will be bright based off of the style that they play right now. Eric? Yeah, totally agree. Uh, they did have a big name. His name was John Tavares. And look where he went to a team that has done jack fucking shit. The Toronto Maple Leafs are a fucking joke. 
the Islanders, he didn't want to stay there. I get it. But then they get they bring in Barry Trotz, who just created a team full of grinders. Um, and Barzell, you don't think they're going to re-sign him. They're going to re-sign him for sure. Like, he's the guy that gives that offensive spark to them, power play, everything. Uh, they're a team that we bring up every time. They, they're like that Western King style of hockey mm-hmm. in the East right now. Um, and it's frustrating to play against. I think they stick around for a few years and be a threat. Now people just are going to know about them a little more. That's the one thing. I, I wonder now what the team would be like with John Tavares and the same team playing that same playing that same um, style of hockey. If A, he fit in, and if B, if he did, obviously they'd have a goal scorer, and I think they'd be even more of a threat than they already are. Tyler and Alex, speaking of Matthew Barzell, we're going to talk about him right now. Um, so, Tyler, Lou Lamarillo is the GM of the Islanders. He just won GM of the year. Um, it's considered one of the best yet most frugal GMs in the NHL. Um, he does not sign he does not sign players to contracts unless they've really done something. So, in your opinion, how important will this contract signing of Barzell be? I mean, he's reached two back-to-back um, 60-point seasons after a solid 85-point season in 27-2018 where he won Calder Trophy. Um, and though John uh, Tavares was on the team then, how important is this guy to tie up long term? Do you think he is the face of the team, or do you see someone else as the most important player for this team? Ah, lock him up. Give him, give him the money he wants. Give him the money he deserves. Um, I think you gotta have an anchor, a, a face of your franchise, no matter what team you are. If you want to be successful, I think you just gotta have that star guy that's locked up long term. And for me, it's for the Islanders. It's Barzell. Yeah, um, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I look at Mark Shifley's contract, similar numbers, similar style of play. I think that they are very close. Um, he, he's getting $6.125 million per year for eight years. He's in, the, he's in four years into that. And I think that that um, it is going to be close. And So, Alex, you are Matthew Barzell, Calder, Trump, Calder um, Trophy winner of 2018. Do you take one of the two deals? Do you take a four-year deal at six? million a year knowing that you'll be entering your prime your ufa at your ufa eligibility where you can ink a massive deal if you perform very well but you risk failing to perform and you may not get something big or do you ink an eight you ink that eight million dollar deal at 6.125 that walks you past your prime years but you're inked for 49 million guaranteed dollars that's a tough one i think i'd go for the short one um especially with hockey um injuries are a huge part of the game um he is he's been the star of the team for this, yeah. these playoff series but and you know what like you can't ah, damn. yeah i take okay i take the four years because i want to play for barry trotz that's what it comes okay. down to and if he decides that like barry trotz doesn't want to stay around i don't believe his contract is for a super long right. period you play for Barry Trotz because obviously he got you to the Eastern Conference Finals this year when no one expected you to do that. He's um, one of the best coaches in the league right now. You take the you take the money and you bet on yourself. I, that's what I would. That's what I would do. Yeah, I think I think it's I think I agree. I think that players when they take a little bit less money, I think that he'd actually be leaving some money on the table for them to sign maybe someone else who can actually score. They might actually have a good chance at 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 making another. Um, Eastern Conference Final for sure. Um, it's just an interesting, interesting dynamic there. So, um, but hey, that that's my series on the Islanders. Um, we still have two more, ga- well, maybe two more games. Um, but I think this group kind of thinks that Tampa Bay is gonna gonna finish it out in the next two. 
Um, going on to the other side, Eric, you won some money, baby. Dallas Stars beat the Vegas Golden Knights 4-1 to one in the series. First of all, I want to ask, how much money did you win, or did you just not lose $100? I actually just didn't lose $200. I broke even. <laughs> there you go. Oh. Well, I, hey, I, I'm glad that that happened. Um, and uh, James, I got to give you a shout-out. You were, you were bullish on this team from the get-go. So, I mean, how do you feel? Fantastic, man. To be honest, I didn't know much about the Stars. But then you assigned me the stars to cover from, you know, round one. And then I became a fan since then. And so I've just been, like, pushing the stars to win. And it's kind of working here. Hey, let's let's dig into it a little. Um, go. Leonard and Flurry. Uh, first of all, the shots were insane. Vegas shot 166 versus the stars 118. The, the Golden Knights only put in, uh, I, don't, I don't even know how many goals. Um, it, it was putrid compared to their uh, – compared to their shots. Um, Flurry, um, Flurry and Leonard together had a 0.925 save percentage, uh, 0.96 for Flurry, 0.914 for Leonard. Uh, one shutout, nine goals against for a 1.8 goals against average, which is really good. That is solid numbers, guys. Um, Anton Davi Kudobin, 0.95% save percentage, one shutout, eight goals against. So there you go. They, they scored eight goals versus the nine that um, were put up by the Stars. Um, for a 1.6 goals against average. Yeah, Jake Odinger, or however you say it, did play 17 minutes and face five shots, but who really cares? Um, to me, this series was all about goaltending in a good way and bad way. There was some drama between, you know, Flurry and the whole, the whole thing with his agent. Um, and Pete DeBoer, as a new coach, didn't give two shits who he was playing. He was going to play the hot hand over the loyalty, even though that, you know, Flurry is kind of the, was the face of that organization. Uh, Flower has two more years left on his deal at seven million per year. Has a modified no trade clause, so he has, he submits a ten no fly zone um, list of teams that he can't go to. And Leonard is at twenty nine years old is a current free agent coming off a five million dollar one year deal. He signed three back to back one year deals, so he hasn't seen a long term contract since his entry level. So Eric and James, this question is for you guys. If you guys were Kelly McCrimmon, who's a GM. Knowing what you know about Flower's drama, his impact as the face of the Golden Knights, and given the fact that Leonard has had a great season and deservingly stole the net from Marc-Andre Fleury, who would you go with next year? Do you trade Flower, enter him into the trade market, and offload the dollars to sign Leonard long-term, or do you see a chance that Leonard would, would take less than Flower? Do you see any chance if, that Leonard would take less than Flower, allowing the team to bring back both, or do you stick with Flower and let Leonard taste, test free agency? Uh, Eric, you keep Mark Andre Flower Flurry. The guy got him to the Stanley Cup in their first season ever. The guys won two or three Stanley Cups with the Penguins already. Two. Uh, he's been called upon before for the big moments, and he shines in them. Yeah, he had his whole drama with his agent. Throw that shit aside and keep him. Leonard is good, and I like the guy. He's got a good story and a, an upbringing and everything, but. You know, Leonard has been getting shopped around the NHL most of his career. I keep Flurry. James? I disagree with you 100% there. Um, I think he's a younger um, goaltender, mainly because they're trying to start a dynasty, aren't you? This is like what I was just saying. He bet on himself. He had a couple one-year deals back to back to back, and now it's time for him to cash in. He performed really well during this entire playoffs. He got traded from an eh team to a great team, and he yeah. did well. He bettered himself. It paid off. Give him the money he deserves. 
give him a, a ton of years too. Like he he could be a goaltender there for a long time because he's only twenty nine years old. Yeah. Mark Andre Fleury is like what seventy five. I don't know. He's old, <laughs> but he's gonna be done soon, man. You can't give that guy that much money right now. I don't know Leonard's character at all. Like I don't know if he'd be willing to take a pay cut to keep both. But in a perfect world, that's what would happen. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's 2020, and this world kind of sucks right now. So I, Mark Andre Fleury has been fantastic for the Knights, but he's, if I was a GM, I'd trade him away. And it's with a heavy heart. I have a ton of respect yeah. for that guy, for that franchise, but I look towards it here. No, I get it. Um, I, I actually agree with you on that one. Leonard is, if it was played fantastic, and, I, and knowing, knowing the goalie market this year, there's no way in hell he's taking a pay cut. He can go literally anywhere and cash in. Alex and Tyler, before we move on to the Dallas Stars, the Vegas Golden Knights had very little problems defending goals. I would say giving up nine nine goals in five games is better than average. I don't know how many of those were empty nets, but regardless, that's pretty freaking solid. Um, although they were only able to muster up eight on 166 shots. Tough shooting percentage for a team that has one of the best zone times I've ever seen in the last you know two playoff series. Um, in the regular season, they had an above-average goal f- goals for, so that's that was interesting. Do you think this team is missing a key goal scorer or finisher, or do you chalk this up to you ran into two hot goaltenders? Or is that just how hockey goes? Sometimes you have offense, and sometimes it runs out. Uh, Alex? Um, okay, so two th- things first. Flurry has won three cups with the Penguins. Uh, oh, you're right, he has. Two, I'm obviously a fucking idiot because I picked the Knights to win in five during our last podcast. So that went completely wrong for me. So shout out to me for being an idiot. Um, no, you're not an idiot. I mean, they outplayed them big time. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> they did. Um, um, but to answer your actual question, um, you know, in that first, in that first season where Vegas just kind of stormed the West, William Carlson was, uh, mm-hmm. decided to just be like, uh, just kidding, I'm going to be a top goal scorer in the league. And I feel like, I know I don't pay attention to the Knights. They're not my team. I hate them. So I'm not upset that they're not in it. Um, but he has seemed to sort of disappear. And, you know, coming back to this, generally the Knights are a team of players that other teams didn't want. They right. pretty much just said, hey, here you go. Yeah, they got big names like Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty. Um, but yet to to so to bring it all back together, yes, they need one big goal or, um, you know, they're a team of scrappy players that together can be great. But sometimes you need that Sid Crosby, that Connor McDavid, yeah. that Alexander Ovechkin, that's Steven Stamkos, Nikita Kucherov. Sometimes you need those guys. And I don't think the Knights have a player like that. And sometimes you do in the playoffs. You need one guy to just step up and carry your team. Yeah. What about you, Tyler? Yeah, I would agree. I didn't think the Knights really needed that going into this series. I thought they were playing well with the mix that they had. Yeah, they didn't have that, you know, high-end, you know, top five NHL goal scorer. Um, But you see plenty of teams that can win without that. Um, So I I think it was just one of these series where their offense just kind of went cold. Um, But obviously, I think with today's NHL, having a lot of talent and skill and speed on the offensive side is really, really important. I think they still have that. I still think they're pretty deep on offense. But, yeah, maybe they need just that one guy that's going to just light up the scoreboard for them most nights. Um, no pun intended. Yeah, uh, I agree. I, I think they need to I, I think they, I, they need to figure out their scoring, whether it's a new player or whether it's um, just learning to use their own guys to score. Yeah. Uh, I, I, because I think their personnel is extremely good. All, they're very deep. Um, 
you know, they, they have some amazing players on there. Hey, I mean, I'm looking at you, James. You, you gave up Shea Theodore in the, uh, in the expansion draft, and he's turning out to be the next Rob Niedermeyer. Not a big deal. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just leave it there. Um, <laughs> moving on to Dallas. Uh, this question is for James and Alex. Dallas will either play Tampa Bay or the Islanders in the Stanley Cup final. We presumably it's going to be Tampa Bay. But this will be the first time where we see players not having to travel over multiple time zones to play each other in the finals, right? Uh, and we could see the quote-unquote best hockey we have seen ever the, due to the fact that they're going to be rested more. They don't have to do that, deal with that travel, um, and they won't have distractions. And the playoffs have always generally been this war of attrition. And, um, you know, usually the final two teams are, are so, so dead. They're so dogged. Um, and it, it can kind of turn into just kind of a battle as opposed to really, really good hockey, um, meaning, you know, sexy hockey, good passing, that kind of stuff. Do you think we will see some of the best hockey due to the fact that you're adding this final prize, the Stanley Cup, into the bubble that they, you know, they're not having to deal with the same type of attrition that they're accustomed to seeing? Like, are you gonna, are we gonna see better hockey here, Alex? Uh, I think so. Yeah, um, I'm expecting these guys to, you know, whichever team comes out of the East to face Dallas, I expect both of those teams to just start flying out of the gates. Yeah. Um, I typically you know, during a regular non-pandemic season, we'll go with the team that comes in last. Um, I, I like to go with teams that are riding that hot hand, you know. Boom, they won a game six. Boom, they won a game seven. They're moving on to the next round. They're feeling it. Who knows this year? Um, I'm expecting some great hockey. The travel, um, you know, especially for, uh, you know, if it's, say, like, um, like Dallas and Tampa, like or Dallas and New York, really, that's kind of the same difference travel-wise. Um, but now they don't have to travel. Yeah, I think the travel just saves their legs, saves their energy. Um, it'll be really interesting to see, but I do think we see some really great hockey in the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, what about you, James? Um, I think a little yes, a little no. Um, a little yes because, like you guys mentioned, the rest and everything. But no because of the Stars' style of play. They're a pretty mm-hmm. physical hockey team all the way through. And they're kind of like the Islanders, but not as much. Uh, we saw that in all the games that the Stars beat the Knights in. They're the more physical team. They're not afraid to give up their body. They go in for hits. They go in for hard hits. Um, they're not afraid to throw punches. They put their body on the line all the time to block shots. They don't care. They want to win. And because I think they play that style of hockey, it's not as sexy as the perfect passes, just zigzagging across east, west, north, south, and then slaps from blue line it's not that's not how it's going to work right now it's that's just style of play and while i think the rest is going to play a huge part of that it's the style the the style and the characteristics of the players and the coach also play a part in that too i see that um i, I think it's gonna be interesting I, I think i i actually agree with you guys both in some cases um, i'm just excited to see what it's like to see rested hockey players in the Stanley Cup final. Final point in question for Eric and Tyler. Dallas will be the Stanley Cup final for the first time since 2000, which was one year after they won the Stanley Cup and what could otherwise be described as the most controversial Stanley Cup final win in NHL history. This team has been counted out multiple times by even many of us on this podcast, um, but they prove us wrong time and time again. Tyler, you mentioned that. The craziest thing about all that is the fact that Tyler Sagan is ninth in points on his team, eight and has eight in 19 games, eight, um, eight goals and uh, I'm sorry, eight assists in 19 games and only two goals. Miro Heiskanen has been a beast, 22, 22 points, 20 games, five goals. Jamie Benn has also been fantastic. Um, 
does this team have the ability to beat someone like Tampa, who we know can score, who's fast, who can play with an edge, and now all of a sudden, not like edge now all of a sudden, like they can start to put up hits as we see. If Sagan continues to remain off the score sheet, how confident are you in that the bottom six in Dallas can beat the bottom six in Tampa? Eric? Still pretty confident in them. Uh, they took out a team that I thought was the most dangerous team in the Western Conference. That's exactly what you just described as the lightning. They could hit, they could score, they could skate. Uh, and we've been counting them out all year. Sagan's like that kid on the fucking group project that always dicked around and never did anything, but they get an A on it. That's like how he's been throughout these throughout the whole bubble. So he still has time to turn it on. He's going to need to fucking turn it on, though, if they want to win. We said that for this series, and somehow he didn't. And they, Q- Q- Dobin stood on his head, as we always say, saved their lives. So I still think they can get past Tampa with or without Sagan. But you, Tyler? Yeah, I mean, clearly Sagan, uh, him performing at his top level is important for this Dallas Star team. I think they got a lot of other options. Um, but yeah, on paper, to me, it's like, yeah, Lightning or should, should, should win this series. But I've said that with every other – I haven't picked the Stars to win once. So uh, who fucking knows? The Stars team just keeps coming out and they keep winning, um, which is impressive. And, I'm, and as a sports fan, I love to see it. You know, my team's not in the playoffs right now, but I love those teams that are the underdogs and can be the underdogs all the way through. That would be a great story. So – yeah, I'm. I still think the Lightning are, are the better hockey team here. But like I said, this, with Stars, with with their mojo, the way they're playing right now, they 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 might be the best team left in this tournament. We'll have to see. I I watching this Tampa Bay team and watching what they can do, watching looking at their team. I, I know I said this about Vegas. I just don't see the Tampa Bay Lightning losing that series against the Dallas Stars. But I better I better not be too uh, too ingrained in that because they. Proven because the Islanders will win in game seven, that's why. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I will say, if, if, in my opinion, if the Islanders end up winning, I think that Dallas will win the series for sure. I think that Dallas is the better team in that, in that type of uh environment. I think they have better firepower, uh, and I think that they'll be able to beat the uh, uh, Islanders in that sense. But that's all we got for hockey. Sorry it was long, but they it's starting to end up, so you're not going to hear much from hockey in about two weeks. <laughs> so sad. sad. Oh, I know. All right, thank you, Traden. Uh, yeah, just like you said, by next week, we will have the Stanley Cup final. Uh, figure those two teams figured out. Basketball is winding down. Baseball will have a more clear picture on the postseason. Uh, just a couple things, guys. Um, like we mentioned, a couple podcasts, uh, there's still time to register to vote. Um, if you, you know, I looked it up today, most of the States, um, you're allowed to register up to like the first week of October. So if you're 18 plus and you are red and not registered to vote, please go do that. Um, other than that, please like comment, subscribe, um, on this podcast. Um, if you hate us, let us know. Um, if you like us also let us know if it's somewhere in the middle, let us know. Uh, other than that, have a great week guys. We'll see you back next Wednesday. All right. Night. Night.